Hi, this is Pam and this is Must Love Food. Thanks for joining us today. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Haley, and we have an esteemed guest who is our former colleague, uh, Lauren Grant, and she is the uh, founder and operator of The Zestful Kitchen. And if you haven't ever gone to her website, you should definitely check it out. She's all over Instagram too with some gorgeous images, but Lauren has a background in uh, culinary science from Iowa State and journalism, and she came and worked with us as an editor and a recipe developer. And she had a website the whole time and just really kind of um, amped it up. And a couple of years ago, she decided to go off on her own. And so she is an influencer, and um, we we're just glad to kind of catch up with you. And we would love to hear about what you're doing and what it means to be an influencer. Well, hello. Hi. Um, thank you, Pam. It's good to be back with you guys. I've missed working with you. It's a little bit different um, working on your own. It gets very lonesome, especially right now. Um, we all understand yeah. that these days. Yes, yes. We're all sure. working in our own silos. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, so what it kind of means to be an influencer slash blogger, um, I have a variety of kind of work streams. I don't just do blogging or just do influencing. So that's kind of nice because it makes my days all different. Um, so I do a mixture of creating content and recipe development for my own website. Mm -hmm. um, but I also do a lot of content creation for food brands, like big major food company brands, and then also um, food publications. So it's kind of a mixture of photography, recipe development, writing, um, and then a little bit of stuff on social media for my own channels. So it's all over the place, um, but a lot of recipe development. So do most of the work that you're doing for um, uh, publications and even food brands, is it usually digital or is it a mix of digital and print or what, what's the medium typically? I would say nowadays, it when I first started, it was mostly print. I did a lot of freelance for food magazines, uh -huh. um, but over the course of the last two years, it's really moved away from print and I've been doing a lot more digital work, um, mostly for food brands. Food brands don't have as much digital things that they need recipes for. So, uh -huh. and I think what they have kind of moved away from is having flyers and their own B2B magazines, and they're more moving towards a more robust website presence. So a lot of the companies I work with have a big recipe archive, much like my own site, mm -hmm. just full of different recipes, different diet preferences. Um, and so I think the goal is to create a customer that not only uses your product, but also uses your website as a resource for ideas to use um, their food products. Well, speaking of your content on your website, tell us a little bit about kind of what your content is and what your sort of mission or vision is of, of uh, that. Yeah, so Zestful Kitchen is kind of twofold. One part is I really enjoy the process of helping people cook better and faster. Um, I'm not somebody that does a lot of like 30 minute meals, but I am somebody that wants to give you tips on how you can cut down prep time or how you can be smarter about your cooking process. So I like to give tips on just like general cooking tips and time savers. Um, but then the other portion of my site is what I like to call like healthy-ish. So it's there's a variety of proteins. I don't just, I'm not just a vegetarian blog or vegan blog. I'm a mixture of those mm -hmm. recipes in addition to a lot of different fish and meat. Um, but the healthiest aspect is to use more whole ingredients, less processed ingredients. So there's a lot of um, produce forward recipes. There's a lot of um, making your own sauces, making your own vinaigrettes, those kind of things, um, which does add time. So that's why I think that the time saving tips are helpful to try to make mm -hmm cooking from the ground up a little bit more approachable. Um, so it's a, it's a mixture of healthy-ish recipes and then also tips. Do you do batch cooking for yourself? I mean, I do because I'm cooking for one, so I don't wanna make a vinaigrette every time that I go yes. to make something, so I will make and keep in the fridge, but do you kind of employ that yourself? I do, um, and I like to, I definitely do a lot of batch prepping. I need to be better about doing big, like a chicken salad or an egg salad. Like I need to make actual, salad yeah. or components because that's really where you save time I think but I'm also kind of like you Pam where it's like I want my components prepared so I can make something different every night mm -hmm. um, so I right. do like batch prepping grains sweet potatoes proteins definitely dressings and vinaigrettes um, I just need to be better about labeling the dressings because I don't <laughs> forget what is what You're like, I don't know how long this has been in here and yeah oh, last night I cleaned up like five different sauces that 
I just forgot about. <laughs> Let's do a round robin. What is your favorite dressing or vinaigrette? Um, hmm, I'm thinking about for me. Oh, 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 oh. I'm gonna say possibly a like a not a creamy, but uh, possibly a Caesar. I always love a good Caesar with lemon. Um, I mean, I love a straight just red or white wine vinaigrette or mm -hmm. balsamic. Probably those would be one of mine. But anyway, pretty yeah. traditional vinaigrette base. Mm -hmm. what? Yeah, last night I made a Caesar dressing and I hadn't uh -huh. made one in a while. I'm like, gosh, I need to make this more often. It's just, it always hits the spot. So yes, good. exactly. Yeah. Haley? Uh, um, yeah, creamy dressings are my jam. That's uh -huh. my favorite. I mean, I do love vinaigrettes as well, but I don't know. I just gravitate towards the creamy dressings and Caesar is hands down my favorite Oh, like dressing. a creamy Caesar. Creamy Caesar. Now, I like a vinaigrette Caesar. However, oh. any any iteration of a Caesar, okay. if it's like a cashew-based, you know, mm -hmm. Caesar, I'm good with that too. I just love that anchovy. I think it's yeah, kind of just yeah. what what makes it yeah. you know it's mm -hmm. so satisfying and you know i'm a big salt lover yeah, so yeah. there's that too. <laughs> oh we did a we did a cashew um cream um caesar dressing uh, a couple of years ago i do remember that were you going to say something else lauren when you were t you said do you did a caesar well, I, lesson i was playing around with um i needed a vinaigrette for something i can't remember what it was but i made i like toasted some cumin seeds in a saucepan and then i or did I start with oil and added cumin seeds and use that base as the vinaigrette? And so I had like oh. cumin oil. It was so good. That I bet. I love cumin. <laughs> well, it's just like a nice twist on it too. Mm -hmm. Just brings yeah. another element of flavor to it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. what would you say is your kind of favorite component to your job? Because you, you said you're doing, um, I know that you've always been interested in photography. And I know when you worked with us, you kind of... Um, confabbed with Chris, our photographer, a lot, mm -hmm. and he sort of gave you some tips and helped direct you on some things. But so you do some photography, uh, are you, and you do writing at least for yourself. I'm not sure um, uh, for publications and, um, and then development. What would you say is your favorite thing to do? Or maybe mm -hmm. it changes by the day. Yeah, I, it does change kind of by the day. I think my most comfortable like Zen is when I'm developing recipes. Cause I, I feel like I, it's just like a language that I just like am really mm -hmm. comfortable and I enjoy and time just passes really fast. So I like the recipe development part. Um, I've always been really enthralled with food photography and just photography in general. So I love that aspect, but part of it is makes me still a little bit nervous cause I don't feel completely confident in the photography part. So there's a part of it that's really challenging too, because there's so much still to learn that it can feel daunting sometimes, especially if I've like taken a step away for two weeks and I haven't photographed anything. It's like, okay, I got to open that part of the brain back up. Whereas with recipe development, it's just like, you just pick it right back up. So those are my two favorite things. I think I am most comfortable with development, um, but photography is still kind of a challenge sometimes. Um, so that just let, light bulb just went off. You are also doing styling too. Yeah. 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 Which also I'm, that's been a really big learning curve for me. Cause I, I understand composition. I understand all of like the actual part of composing a good picture. It's achieving that with like the props and the right napkins and the right color story. It's like those things I have never really learned. So that's kind of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. And that's more prop styling because I mean, in the reality, and I don't know, um, at cuisine, a lot of times we're doing a uh, bulk of, or at least some of the food styling because we are mm -hmm. making the food typically for photography, which in um, some places that you will have, you might turn over your entire recipe and a food stylist would make it start to finish. But when we are making it, so we are part of that, that world. So mm -hmm. that probably comes a little naturally for you, mm -hmm. that part, but the, the prop styling is something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, one of the most, aside from the recipe development aspect that I learned a ton at Cuisine, I, I became much better at just like knowing what is good and what's not. You guys taught me a lot of that. But also just being able to watch like John or Maddie or Robin style an, a dish and yeah. to like achieve those grill marks or yes. all of that and like the tools that they use, that was so incredibly helpful just to watch sure. the 
process. So even when I didn't have anything left to do during the shoot, I would sometimes, oftentimes, sit down there and watch the shoot go on just because it was, it's such an impressive process and it's so unique to just the industry. It's just a very yes. random, weird thing that we do, I, but it's very cool. I agree. I remember shooting something and it was a tomato base of something, a tomato sauce of something. It could have been a, a it could have been the deep dish pizza. It could have mm -hmm. been pasta. I don't even remember. And I remember Maddie um, was working on something and she simply took the sauce and then patted it onto a paper towel to take excess liquid off of it. And I thought, oh, wouldn't have thought of doing that because you're going to get pooling if you don't do that. Yup. Okay. <laughs> so we are, I mean, we are, we always use our natural ingredients. We might just tweak them just a little bit, or I should say, um, try to make them look their best for mm -hmm. photography. Mm -hmm. So we're not doing anything funky to them, but <laughs> yeah, it is a learning curve. And it's, it's like you said, it's a language or, um, a process that most people have are not mm -hmm. aware of at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it um, makes a really big difference. Like I notice things that if I know that it wasn't styled very well and I should probably reshoot it and I don't, it just never happens <laughs> as well as it should like on sure. Pinterest or on my website because it's not as appealing. So it's like, it's all about styling it so it's appealing, but then also shooting it at the correct spot to make it look the most appealing, if that makes sense. So like, what is it that's most appealing about a burger? It's like, it's the drippiness, it's the melty cheese, it's not the top of the bun, <laughs> you know? So right. it's like thinking about right. that aspect and how do I achieve that, that ooey gooeyness. I, I love your style that you capture in your photos, Lauren. Like, where do you get your inspiration from? Or is it a compilation of things or? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like once a month I have like an existential crisis of like, I don't like my photography style. <laughs> so I just like <laughs> want to change it. But then it's like, well, I keep, I keep editing it this way and I don't, it's kind of just like happens naturally. But I prefer like a muted look of like colors generally, but I can't seem to, when I'm editing, I can't seem to do that because I love the vibrancy of food. <laughs> so I think it's a combination of, um, I'm trying to think, I really like things that are naturally lit because I want it to look like what it could look like in your home. So there's, there, there's that part that I like the natural lighting. Um, and I like the light and airiness sometimes just because I think it shows how fresh something is. I wish I was a little bit more dark and moody with a little bit more shadows. So I'm trying to incorporate that into my photography, but for some reason I always kind of gravitate towards really vibrant colors and light and bright. Um, it's interesting though, because most of the pictures that I like save as inspiration do have muted colors and are a little bit softer and it'll have a little bit more shadow. So I don't know. I think, I think maybe part of it's that I see my food just a little bit differently um, because I really like bright flavors. I love lemon. I love a lot of tang. So I think that might be, maybe comes through it in the coloring. Um, it's not a very good answer, but I think it's part of it is that I am so conflicted about my style. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think your style definitely comes through. You know, I feel like when I scroll through Instagram, like I, I'm like, oh, that's one of Lauren's things. Like oh, I can tell. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes yeah. I wonder if it's consistent. <laughs> Because you look at it so much, like, I don't know. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably one of the things you kind of were talking about, how you go from kind of a team approach to you are the team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the yeah, team sort of, yeah, begins mm -hmm. and ends with you, yeah. Um, but um, so when you're working with some of the big brands, um, are you, you said you mostly do food um, recipe development. Is that the kind of thing? or So do they share, is it typically new products or their... Um, uh, or they're just send you a wealth of different products to try and then develop recipes with that. How does that kind of work? So in general, I would say almost every project I work on, they have about three, two to three products that they want absolutely included in the recipes. And then there'll be a list of, you can also incorporate these five, or it could also be, you can use any other of our products in these recipes, but you have to get these three in these four or five recipes you're developing. And half of the time it's brand new products coming out on the market. The other half, it's like they're classics. So I do a lot of work for Sir Kensington's. And so mm -hmm. my first batch with them was like, I all like their classic. Product. Yeah, me too. They're, oh, their sauces are so good. Mm -hmm. But 
the first few were just their classic mayonnaise, their vegan mayonnaise, and their avocado mayonnaise, which are, I think, kind of their flagship product. Mm -hmm. But as we've moved forward, it's using their brand new um, everything sauces and their mustard. And so it definitely depends on the season, too. And their sauces lend themselves to grilling, to sandwiches, to things that are a little bit more warm weather dishes. So a lot of it's seasonal, um, but also just making sure that people can visualize using their classic stuff in recipes like a potato salad. Like you can use this really wonderful mayonnaise in your potato salad. You don't have to use the stuff that you always, your grandma always mm -hmm. uses. Something. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of sure. classic. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just thinking, we were talking about recipes and things like that. Uh, do you have a favorite recipe on Zestful Kitchen or a couple favorites? And then I was going to ask from Cuisine, something mm -hmm. you developed and then maybe your all-time favorite of what mm. something at Cuisine. Sorry, I know those are broad. <laughs> we can uh, give you a minute. You have yeah. anything, Haley? Yeah, <laughs> you favorites? <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, there's been so many good ones. <laughs> I know. Okay, you know one I'm going to jump out for me? I still, 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 and you know, it probably depends what the season, but mm. that, and you developed it, Haley, I think it was something that Kim started, our, our former editor, Kim, and then- I know exactly it, what you It's a say. marinated pork shoulder, cut really thin, Ooh. marinated pork shoulder, and turned into, I think, like a Thai salad. It's almost a little bit of like a boon. Um, mm -hmm. right. Yes. Oh, I don't remember the name of the salad, but it is, uh, I think it may have been Vietnamese, but okay. I could okay. be wrong. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was, right. a, it was a technique I had not done before. I had not, um, I think it was grilled, right? Those thin slices. Yes. Um, I had never cooked pork shoulder that way. I thought the only way was, you know, low and slow. Um, and it was delicious. Yeah, because it's mm -hmm. cut real thin, and then you marinate it, and then you grill those thin, almost like a, a bulgogi-ish style, kind of like that. Um, I do remember, I did develop a bulgogi that I liked, actually. But, yeah, there's so many things. It's hard to, but that one always, I always remember that one. That sounds good. I don't think I was there for that. I don't remember that. I don't think so. Um, but, I mean, I'm I'm here ten, a little over 10 years, and Haley, you're 11, 12, something like that? Yeah, something like that. I can't remember. Yes. Lauren, you were there uh, two or three years and you've been gone. Not quite two. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's mine. Uh, Haley, did you have a favorite? The one that is like popping to my mind and not at all seasonal uh, was John's couch potato soup. Oh, yeah. Um, because I unfortunately... I'm not as healthy with my diet as I should be and have tried to be. I, I sort of go in spurts, you know. Um, but I just, I remember there being like cheese popcorn involved and like oh. beef jerky. Um, and it's a true. cheesy like potato soup. So good. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's funny. Um, I really loved Haley's pastrami. Oh, like, gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. One that was like, I could eat this all day. <laughs> oh, I'm going to tag on to that, but I'm going to say that Haley also just recently did um, homemade bacon and uh, I got some and I, we all kind of took some home after the shoot and I sliced up the slab that I got, froze individual portions. And for the last two weeks, I've gotten heirloom tomatoes from a local market, a gourmet market here. I'm still waiting for mine to come into my garden. And um, I've had BLTs with homemade bacon. Oh my gosh. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I digress. So homemade pastrami, <laughs> I agree. I second that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was so That good. was much more of a procedure than the bacon. Bacon, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then what about something you developed? Would you have a favorite on what mm -hmm. you developed there? I think it's hard to remember all of them. Sure. Oh, okay, I have two, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. The um, Kringle with the apricot filling and the uh -huh. almond filling was. That I'm, was a labor of love. Yes. I'm also still surprised that I actually achieved it, but it was good. <laughs> I liked that. Um, and then I liked the bulgogi beef jerky I did. Oh, that was that? like stuff ding, that I. Ding, ding. That's one thing I would make again. Uh huh. Yeah, I think. But I have not, but I want to. <laughs> that was really good. I also remember, and this was maybe with like in our faster with fewer department, mm -hmm. um, your chicken speedies. Oh yeah. 
that we had to take um, it out and I was so upset about. Yeah, I think oh. it had three herbs in it initially and it was like, oh, oh I want to ask right. people to buy too many herbs, so we're going to take one or more yeah. of these out. Um, those were so delicious. Yeah, those were great. They were so tender. I forgot about those. Um, and do you have a favorite recipe on Zestful Kitchen or current favorite? I can add, maybe yeah. pose it that way. <laughs> um, well, when Haley said cocktails, one of my favorite drinks and one uh -huh. of my favorite pictures is the Blood Orange um, Boston Sour. Oh. And I'm not much of a whiskey drinker, but if it's a sour, if it's a really good sour, uh -huh. I drink them all day. And I really love that one just because the flavors together are just so yummy. <laughs> and I love the egg foam on top. Mm. So mm -hmm. I like that one mm -hmm. a lot. Have you ever used um, aquafaba for egg foam on any of your cocktails or anything? Not for cocktails. That's a good idea. Okay. I even thought about that. I had read that. I was, I think I wrote an article. I, I had written, well, I'd done a Q and A on Aquafaba and then I'd written an article for um, our website, cuisinacomb.com. And um, uh, in doing a little research for that, I do remember um, that, you know, cause it's an egg substitute and that some people would use that if they're there uh, or if you're allergic or you're vegan or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. I should play around with that. Yeah. You always have, I mean, you never yeah. use it for anything. It's not like, well, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I've, I've started cooking my chickpeas in an instant pot and mm -hmm. I love that, mm -hmm. but you can use the cooking water in the same oh. way. Okay. Um, and I have not done this, but my understanding is that if you're, um, the viscosity of the liquid is not quite like, um, similar to like, um, egg, mm -hmm. then just cook it down just a little bit until it okay. thickens up. Okay. I was okay. about that because sometimes, depending on the brand of bean you get, I'm like, I don't think you could ever whip this because it's so thin, but that's good to know that you can cook it down. I it, didn't know you could. I think you'd be mm -hmm. surprised though. It, that stuff whips up like you would. It really was, did. And I added a little stabilizer to it. I added uh, cream of tartar and a little vanilla and sugar because, you know, you want that. Yeah. But I felt like it actually had better, um, longer stability than an egg white meringue. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to that. Yeah. Well, it fits. It definitely fits in with your website too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will say all of your cocktails look really amazing. Uh huh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I need to do more cocktails. They look really fresh, and I love how they a lot of times are including, you know, like fresh juices and yeah. things, things of that nature. Thank well, you. Well, and a lot of your baked goods too. I like your use of kind of alternate sugars mm -hmm. um, and alternate flours too. Um, yeah. So what's in the cocktails? Are you doing them for your website? Or are you doing that in um, collaboration with um, brands or um, publications, other publications? Um, I mostly do them for my website. Yeah. I don't remember if I've done, I might have done one in collaboration with someone, but sure. mostly for my website. They tend to do pretty well with my audience, surprisingly. I don't know why I say surprisingly, but they tend to be one of the most popular topics on my site or also on social media um so i should continue to do them i should yeah. do more of them but everybody loves a cocktail yeah. is that would you say lauren that's in general or just right now because it's mm. um you know summertime and people are i think tend to maybe drink more cocktails in the summer <laughs> am i making uh, that up is that a thing no i think that's true i think it's in general every time i post something it always does pretty well better than like a grilled chicken or a pasta Okay. Um, and I think that's also true for desserts, but that's just in general across the board on Instagram desserts do better than anything else. So for me though, it's desserts and cocktails do really well, which is great. But also when it comes to like the realistic person who's going to look for a recipe, people are actually looking for chicken recipes. People are actually looking for pasta. So it's a balance between like finding engagement on Instagram, but then also serving your audience from Google and from search engines. So kind of a hard balance to figure out where to put your priorities <laughs> so um you know I kind of we jumped in um but I maybe I should have um asked or we can ask now um kind of give us a little sense of how Zestful Kitchen started to begin mm -hmm. with and then um kind of what you kind of did to build yourself as a bigger brand and as an influencer mm -hmm. I'd be curious I think people yeah. would be curious yeah so I started Zestful Kitchen in 2014. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> um, and it was basically born out of being bored and slightly frustrated at school because the first two, two and a half years are all general education credits. So 
you're taking things, well, not just gen eds, because I was also doing like biology and ochem, things that were not anything that I wanted to do. I wanted to be cooking. So uh-huh. I was really bored in those first four years. I wanted something that was going to like stir up my creativity and just play with my hands, really. So I did that just to have a little bit of a portfolio also to show that I am interested and passionate about food so that in the future I could show that to maybe potential employers. Um, and then throughout my internships, I just got a little bit more interested in food. And through working at the cafe, I just found like it slowly compounded to just me being really obsessed is the wrong word, but kind of obsessed with just like food and plating and how beautiful it is. And so I kind of got more interested in photography and tried to learn that aspect of it. Um, and then by like 2016, it was taking up so much of my time and it was definitely still just a passion project. And it was fun. It was more of just like a journal almost. Um, but I realized, you know, I do this after work. I do this on the weekends. I'm spending quite a bit of money to do this. I either need to make it worthwhile or I need to just ditch it and do it for fun and not do it seriously and post one thing a month. Um, and so I <laughs> yeah, definitely- it's a labor of love, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And especially in 2014, I started on the worst website platform. Oh. <laughs> you could. Um, I started on Wix, which just is not a good platform to, to do if you want to make it into a business. So in 2016, I was like, I either need to transfer everything over or just stop. So I took a little bit of time to think about it and decided, let's just see what happens. Let's do it. Let's see where this can go. And so I moved over to WordPress. Um, I updated my design a little bit. And then in 2017, I updated it again to be more user-friendly and more in line with what Google likes. Um, and so all this is happening while I'm working at Cuisine and I'm slowly taking like search engine optimization courses. I'm taking photography courses. Um, and I don't think I ever thought of it as it would be a full-time job. I just would have been happy if I made a couple hundred bucks a month on the side. Uh-huh. Um, and so as things kind of started to pick up, I realized I can't live this way anymore. Like I can't live working till 11 PM. Two full jobs. Yeah. Right. So throughout all that, I just kind of realized, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. If it doesn't work, I can always go back into the industry. Sure. Um, so it, it definitely started to snowball when I was doing more freelance. I wouldn't say that I started making money on my blog right away. It was the freelance money that was going to be my mo- main income. Um, and then once I left, it was probably about a year in to where I really started to see some money coming in from the blog. So it took me a long time. Um, but I also think it took me a long time to learn how to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Some people are really good at educating themselves before they even get in and they learn SEO and they learn how to, how to design a website. And I kind of did it while I was doing it. Um, so you, you'll see some people start to make money on a blog in two years, whereas it took me like <laughs> six years. Yeah. Um, but you also did have a full-time job too while yeah, you were doing it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it was it's like a very much of a process of ups and downs of, should I be doing this? I should quit. Should I be doing this? I should quit. Right. <laughs> it's different almost every week still. But. Well, and that's a whole other thing that you've sort of taken on, not just the, mm-hmm. the culinary part of it, but yes, you are kind of your own IT person and also your own um, digital editor in that learning the whole Google part and the analytics and, and the SEO, which if anybody doesn't know what that means, it's search engine optimization. It's writing for that. Um, basically things that Google likes. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And it's like, I look back at when I worked at cuisine and there were some things that were part of the job that were like writing emails that I just didn't love, but I really got to do a majority of the things that I love doing and that's cooking and that's writing about food and that's watching the photography process. And then, mm-hmm. and I knew that wouldn't be the same when I owned my own business, but I didn't realize how skewed it would get of how <laughs> I fit in recipe development and photography when I can, and then everything else happens the majority of the time. So it's kind of flip-flop now of, I do what I love in short bursts, and then I do the back-end website stuff the majority of the time, which I'm hoping sure. as I can increase revenue that maybe I can pass some of that off. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't right. want to be the IT department anymore. Yeah, I understand. Well, I commend you for doing it because that, I think that probably stops a lot of people in their tracks because mm-hmm. that is a lot to take on and to sort of master mm-hmm. uh, at any time or, yeah, especially when you have a full-time job too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, you mentioned before recipe development. I kind of, I and I don't know, I wonder if you feel the same way, Haley. I, I've always felt 
that I get into a zone when when things are going good, the music's going in the kitchen, especially in the test kitchen and at home as well. It's taken a turn since we've been working from home, but um, you crank up the music and you are you're creating. You're actually trying to you're in the creative process of figuring out how best to make something most efficiently with the right technique that tastes really good mm -hmm. and that somebody can replicate. And so all of these things are kind of going on, but you're in your little bubble in your kitchen, your test kitchen, creating this and time just flies and you don't really, it's, I liken it somewhat to, I have a, a good friend who's a professional musician. When, you know, he's on stage, he's in the zone. He's not thinking about whatever else. And I sometimes feel like that. And I love that, I really do. Um, and sometimes I feel that way with writing too. But, you know, I like everything. It's, it's a job. I mean, these, you know, it's a four-letter word work. <laughs> Not yeah. everything is, yeah. No, I feel the same way. And I miss cooking in the test kitchens with everyone. Because, you know, I think um, part of the reason why I think we all love to cook so much is because we love to share what we're cooking with people. Um, yes. And so when you, you know, we get excited when we're bringing a recipe to a taste panel that we think is ready you know, to publish and, you know, we hope everyone is going to love it as much as we do. And, you know, other times you're taking a recipe to panel because you're kind of stuck and you need some help with where to go next. Right. Um, and that's something I miss too. You know, we're not bouncing ideas off the way we used to be. Um, you know, Pam should, you know, just yell over the wall of our kitchen, you know, cause we're face to face, our stoves face one another. Um, you know, Pam, I'm doing this, you know, do how much lemon juice do you think I need? You know, like, well, come on over here and taste it, you know? And I, right. you know, I miss that. I agree. You know, we'll get back to that. And, um, I mean, we have gone into the test kitchen some, um, and, and tried to just be smart about, um, our exposures and things like that, but we do photograph still. So we go in because we have to make some things and, and just it's easier really to cook in the test kitchen where you've got all the tools you really need. You've got your entire refrigerator and all that stuff. We've talked about that before, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's, um, uh, I miss that as well. Um, and you know, I think one of the key ingredients in any good recipe is sort of love and passion. And that's what I mean, like for me, like feeding people is like an extension of how I feel about them. It's love. I want to, this is how yes. I show you how I care. And so I mean, we all, I think, approach our food when we bring it to panel, but also when we're publishing it. And we hope that that kind of comes through in the content that we're providing. And I think, I mean, you do the same with your content, Lauren. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's stuff that gravitates to you that you feel passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why it looks so beautiful and it comes across so well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part that you mentioned earlier of, hey, Pam, how much lemon juice do you think I need? It's it's those moments that I really miss because- yeah you can taste something four times and then you stop being able to discern that much of a difference when you add another tablespoon or you add yeah. another teaspoon of something. So it's the times where I come over, it's like, okay, well, I've added this much. I'm wondering if it needs more and you get a fresh taste. That's what I really miss. And that's also what I enjoy doing. Like I loved, I loved being asked and I loved asking people for help too. And so I think that's something that is such a community based part of the test kitchen that I really miss. And I can, I can do that with Greg, but Greg's not looking for the same thing that you guys are looking for. Sure. When I go in and say, Hey, what do you think? Do you think this has enough espresso in it? I don't know. Yes. Um, and it's just different because we have things that we're looking for. And we're also in the back of our mind thinking, okay, do we want to ask somebody to have another herb on hand? Do we want to ask somebody to have to juice another lemon, whatever it may be. So there's that going on too, where we have a lot of factors. It's not just flavor. It's also how many ingredients do you need to have on hand? How many times do I want you to have to zest this? All of the above. Right. Um, so there's that, that I really miss. But when you are in the kitchen yourself doing it, you're like thinking about all those things and they just kind of line up like, dang, this is a craft. <laughs> and it feels really good to just like hit each one of those components that you're thinking about for your recipe. Um, it's a, it's a, I don't know. I like the process. I like the challenge of crafting something like that. I agree. But you know, we're always available for tasting <laughs> when we're in the test kitchen or at home. Well, I, we can give you an example or I can give you an example. We, um, you know, since we've been home, um, a couple things that I've developed, I worked on at home and, um, 
you know, didn't do in the test kitchen. But last issue, it's or it's out to press right now. I don't think it's it's even on the newsstand. We did an article, myself, Haley, and Maddie split it, and it was on like childhood treats. So um, Haley did uh, Pop-Tarts and Maddie did animal cookies and I did graham crackers. And I had wanted to do graham crackers for a long time. And so I was excited about it. And I made 12 different batches and I'm in my kitchen here and I am in a like, I'm in like a depressed state. Yeah. I, I <laughs> think it's supposed to be memorable if it's not. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I made, I can't remember how many I made the first round. I made like, you know me, I make multiple batches. I'll tweak something mm -hmm. just to, it's, um, that's part of the process that I don't think a lot of people recognize too. To be efficient, if you're testing something, you want to have minimal change variables when you're changing something. But so, but to do kind of a head-to-head -head comparison, it's good to have multiple versions at the same time so you can test against each other. So it creates a little bit more work because you have to keep it all straight and you yeah. have to figure out what your changes were and what whatever. So I made multiple batches the first time uh, and they were way too wet. And it's a very wet dough anyway, didn't work at all. Then I tweaked and made multiple batches the next time, way too dry. Oh no. So then I, tweaked again and made multiple batches and they worked out. And I think this is when Haley came and tested. I think I had two versions. I was so over them at this point. I was not in love with anything. Yeah. She was like, these are the worst. They taste like cardboard. They're so dry. Like you don't even want to try them. And I was like, yes, I do. You know, um, Sonic, perfect. Like pretty much. I was like, okay, you know, batch B was the best. You so she, well, and she and her husband, who's who is a chef, and um, so they both had different uh, uh, favorites. Mm. So I took that into consideration, and I I can't remember. I think I had somebody else taste it anyway. So then I went back to the drawing board a little, based on that one, tweaked mm -hmm. a couple things, kept one of the base. This is the same. Tweaked some other things, and ended up, and then went into the test kitchen, made them where there were four batches had people were in for photography that day, made a bunch of batches and um, we nailed down one. I still was not in love with these. I was so over it. <laughs> then made them for photography and nearly messed something up on photography for making them. I forgot to dock them and I had to run down from my desk <laughs> to dock them before they popped up completely. Um, but the sugar looked beautiful on the top. I did shake it nice. And so after the fact, when I, it was after they got shot, I tasted them and I said, I actually like these now, <laughs> but it that's was 12 so rounds. So close to it. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That's funny. Oh uh, love, that's hate funny. of our job sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Greg has asked, or some of our friends have asked us and they're like, you know, like, do you guys ever have things twice? Do you ever go through your website and make something for dinner from your website? I was like, absolutely never. <laughs> there might be one or two things like a dessert or a drink that I'll make again. But it's like, after I've tested that four or five times, I don't ever want to have that again. And then I just like, I have no interest. I know what it tastes like very well. I don't want to. Yep. Do it <laughs> I, yes. We all feel like that. Usually when an issue is done, we are, that one is done and rarely will we pull it out again, yeah. especially the ones we have challenges. I know Haley's got her favorite. Oh yeah. And you know which one it is too, don't you? Oatmeal pie. Yes. <laughs> 12 pies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. That's so many. I hope it's good. I'm not going to ever make it again. Yeah, you're like, I don't know. Don't care. A <laughs> uh, couple other things I maybe wanted to touch upon, Lauren, is um, I remember uh, when you started full time on your blog and your business, one of the things that was a big push for you was to get. 10,000 followers on Instagram. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. So there's a couple of benefits to having that. First of all, is like the swipe up from stories. So you can direct people mm -hmm. straight to your website, which is nice because not only do you get more traffic to your website, um, but you also begin to create a better, more well-rounded brand. So if somebody sees my stuff on Instagram, but then they come to my website and see that my website matches my style on Instagram, they find a few things that are like, oh, I didn't know that she was doing this too, like the tips or my cookbook roundups that I have. Those kind of things help them see me in a bigger scope than just the stories or the things that I post on Instagram. So it hopefully 
they can come to my website organically, not from Instagram as a resource, not just, oh, I want to make this exact recipe. Um, and then the second part is that I think there's a little bit now that it has, a, um, it makes you seem a little bit more authoritative to have a few more people on Instagram. And I don't mean that like numbers are, it's all about numbers because not. If you have good engagement, that's the most important thing. If you have 5,000 followers and you have hundreds of comments on each post, that's way out benefits the 10,000 followers and 20 mm -hmm. comments. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I do have to catch myself on that because it's not all about the numbers, but there is a sense of, oh, I'm gonna take this person seriously because they seem like they've, other people are interested in them, other people trust them, maybe I can trust them too and I'll follow them for tips and recipes. So there's a little bit of that too. Um, not a whole lot of traffic comes from Instagram, so it is good to have them come to your website, but I get most of my traffic from Google, Pinterest, and even Facebook, and I hardly ever post on Facebook. Part of that is that Facebook, their user interface is not as attractive as Instagram's. So people are more willing to leave Facebook than they are to leave Instagram. So Instagram, I've kind of changed my mentality with it recently is that Instagram's a different entity from my website. I'm here to serve you on Instagram. I'm here to give you tips and ideas and less about pushing you to go see a recipe and more just like, if you're here, I wanna help educate you. And then hopefully over time, maybe you'll come to my website and become more of a fan um, but I don't necessarily treat it just as a traffic, um, just a means of traffic. It's more of like, this is another community. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so uh, you know, you've got a unique background or um, one of the things I would say, you're an influencer now, but you, your foundation is you have a culinary science degree and mm -hmm. then you also were a food editor uh, and and worked with different publications at internships and things like that. So you've worked in test kitchens and you've written for national publications. Um, so you've got some some legs beneath you to, to become an influencer, uh, which I do think sets you apart from some. I don't know. I and I know that's something that you have expressed and talked about on your on your blog and things. For somebody starting out, what do you? Th I mean, some people do probably just start out on their own. I mean, what, what do you, what would you give advice for somebody who wants to, to become an influencer in this sphere? So I think the most important thing right now is to figure out, you need to niche down and figure out one thing that you do really well, or one thing that you want to do really well and focus on that. So if I were to go back and redo this, I would probably do, I've thought about this before. It's like, I'm just going to do a cocktail website. And then I can add things in, or I'm just going to do, I'm going to uh, be all about salads. And then once people start to be like, oh, she's the salad lady, that's like, then I'll throw in some more recipes, but like niche down, have your one thing you do really well. And maybe it's baking. There's a lot of baking sure. programmers out there. If you want to do that, that's one thing you can do. Or like vegan baking, the more niche down you can be, the more, um, the more big, really big fans you're gonna have. Like somebody that's like, oh, I always go to this person for baking because I'm vegan and I love their stuff. Or I always wanna have a big salad twice a week and she makes really great salads. So doing that is the most important thing right now because it's hard to be everything to everyone. That, that worked 10 years ago. It absolutely does not work now. I even think that mine's a little too broad, but it's hard to go back now mm -hmm. and kind of niche down. But that's why I'm trying to focus a little bit more on healthy-ish and really stick and make sure that my, the things I need to hit in each content, each piece of content or each recipe is consistent. Um, so having a consistent style and type of recipe is important because you can't be a pinch of yum anymore. You can't be um, a minimalist baker because it's just impossible to make that big of a splash with how much there is out there, with how much content there is and how many influencers are on Instagram. Um, and it could be something super, a tiny little niche, or it could be a really big, a more broad, not really big. So that's one thing I would say. Um, another thing well, is- Well, it also lightens your load a little bit, so you're not having to cover so much broad. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah, and that's a good point of, not only will it make people on social media follow you a little bit more readily, because they know what they're going to get from you, but Google also likes you to stay consistent. So that's why baking blogs do well is because like, oh, they always, this baking blog does a lot of cookies and breads. This one does a lot of pies and tarts. And so for me, it's kind of confusing for Google because like she does chicken and cocktails and tarts, <laughs> whatever. So there's like a lot going on. I'm not necessarily an authority on any one thing, but 
that's where like somebody like me, I can look at my top pages. So I have, I'm one of the top pages for healthy cornbread and a blueberry lemon tart and gochujang noodles. So it's like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna take those three things and I'm gonna do a lemon tart and I'm gonna do a blueberry tart and I'm gonna do all sorts of tart recipes. And I'm also gonna do all sorts of cornbread, corn muffins, corn cookies because then Google can look at me and say, okay, well, she's an authority in the baked corn area or she's an authority <laughs> in the tart area. So for me, it's like a little bit more haphazard because I didn't focus early on. But if you are starting out and you can really hone in on like, you're the cookie lady, you do a lot of cookies, Google will start to feed you more traffic and they'll push you up towards the top. So that's one thing that's kind of important. Um, and I wish when I started out, I wish I would have taken a course on SEO and search engine optimization because that's what took me the longest to figure out and that's been the biggest thing that has moved the needle for me is it, it do you consider that a not a moving target but that mm -hmm. it it's evolved over time and i think it's kind of a new science or or area that it probably is changing all the time a little bit yeah it is changing and that's the frustrating part but what i will say is um now that i've educated myself and i know how to do it correctly. That's like in quotations because there's never a right way because it's always changing. But what I've learned is like, if you write as a helpful person to be helpful to your reader and to be entertaining somewhat, but the biggest thing is helpful, Google will always reward you. So if you're trying to okay. trick the system by stuffing it with keywords and by writing it just for SEO, in the end, Google's gonna figure it out. So if I'm writing it and answering questions people have or anticipating questions they might have, Every time Google does a core update, so that's where they change their SEO guidelines, I always benefit, knock on wood. But that's because I'm doing it in a way that is following the rules, but also I'm thinking of the reader first, not sure. SEO first. Sure. Um, well, so that's where the cream rises to the top. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and, and doing the right thing, you know, gets rewarded, which is nice. Yeah, yes, yeah. So those oh. are my two biggest things, I would say, yeah. So do you ever envision yourself uh, moving beyond this or into something else or like back into um, uh, publishing or, or, or working on a food brand? I don't even know. Yeah, I would love to, I just still do a little bit with magazines, but I would love for that to increase again because I really miss the publication world. Um, I do see myself for the long term, staying with Zestful Kitchen. I think Zestful Kitchen will adapt and change. I hope that mm -hmm. it's always a website, but I hope it's a more robust website that has a lot of resources and a lot of how-tos and tips. Um, but I do also hope that it grows to be a little bit more than just a website. Like I hope that there's maybe some online classes, um, maybe have a better YouTube channel. <laughs> so I do hope that it changes from what it is now. Sure. Um, and I hope that I can maybe have some assistance on the things that I, like I don't want to always be the one doing social media or the IT. So I hope that that right. change. Um, I would like to do and continue to do more photography for magazines just because there's something about seeing your work in something you can hold. And right now all it is is on a screen and it's very fun, but it's not the same as holding it at all. Yes. I think there are a lot of us out there that really do like that tangible product and mm -hmm. they're, yeah, it's great to look at it on a website or something like that. But when you can actually touch it, yes. turn it, yeah. mm -hmm. and yep. keep it forever. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I know that's my dilemma is I have all these issues from cuisine that have oh. my work in it. It's like, I'm not getting rid of this, but where do I put all this? Uh -huh. <laughs> and I yep. wasn't there as long as you guys have been there. Yep. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to throw this away. <laughs> no. And I'm not tearing it out of the magazine. Right. No. <laughs> no. So, oh. Yeah. Well, Lauren, uh, you know what? I realized I forgot to mention at the top of the broadcast, um, but we, I apologize that we were off last week. Lauren was going to be our guest last week, but we had some technical issues and, um, and the 4th of July weekend was in there. So we um, took a hiatus last week, but we were glad to um, work things out and get you uh, on this podcast today and um, share some of your stories and your experiences of um, starting Zestful Kitchen and working with us at Cuisine and, um, you know, taking a, a leap of faith on your own, um, on your own thing. I mean, bravo, bravo to you. Um, I, you know, I think we all are looking on and 
uh, cheering you and, and, you know, happy that we can say we knew you when. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate the support and I've always appreciated my time at Cuisine. It taught me a lot. It made me a much better recipe developer, cook. I remember like one of the first times I brought my stuff to taste panel, we never had a taste panel in school. So I never presented something and got feedback. And it was just like, I got to get a, a tougher skin because this is good. <laughs> Cause this is constructive criticism and I wasn't used to it, but it's all of those times where it was like, I didn't even think about that or all of these things that taste panel that taught me a lot. So I appreciate you guys being wonderful mentors. Oh, you're sweet. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's something, I mean, I don't, I never did that at, uh, culinary school either, though I guess we did a team approach in our module uh, or module three or third, whatever it was, quarter, quarter. and um, we uh, we would do um, like recipe of the day for the, mm -hmm. for the restaurant. And so we would, that's where we would come in with an idea, develop it and people would taste it and we would modify it. We did do that. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say a sad note. I just, um, Jacques Papin is one of the deans of the school that I went to, mm -hmm. uh, along with Alain Salak and Andre Soltner, uh, Jacques Torres and uh, Cesar, because I, uh, I can't remember. But anyway, they, because of COVID, have had to shut. They are actually mm -hmm. partnering with Institute, Culin uh, Institute of Culinary Education, another big culinary school in New York. So they're not completely going away, but... Okay. It sounded as if they, I don't, it, I'm not like sure exactly how they are partnering. They're, they're joining forces. Oh, wow. So they, um, and I don't know what it's going to be called, mm. but I just read that yesterday. Oh. Um, yeah. That's bittersweet. It's a good experience. Yeah. For yeah. me. Um, yeah. And Dorothy Kahn Hamilton was the founder of that school and she passed away. Sadly, a couple of years ago, she had a, um, a home in uh, Nova Scotia, I believe, and I think there was an auto accident. I remember getting an email about it, but she was uh, one of the, I mean, you know, it was kind of visionary what she did at the time and, and created that school. But anyway, I digress. So, um, but anyhow, so I appreciate you joining us today, Lauren. And um, yeah, so we could uh, learn all about your world and uh, catch up again. So. Yeah. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we are. This is Must Love Food. I'm here with Haley and Lauren Grant of ZestfulKitchen.com. And our website is CuisineAtHome.com. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Pinterest. And uh, yeah. So come back next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel good food and slow cooker dinners. We also offer custom at home branded kitchen tools such as aprons, cutting boards and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at cuisineathome.com. <laughs>